Heavenly Father, we offer a prayer of praise and thank you, Lord, for Gavin's decision to follow you as Lord and Savior. Thank you for his mom and dad, Scott and Sheila, who have guided and planted seeds of faith and have pointed him towards Jesus. We pray, Lord, for Gavin to walk with you for for the rest of his life and that he'll be a great uh, man of God as he guides uh, other people towards Christ. Guide him and protect him. Father, we have been walking through this great book, this great letter called Colossians that you've given to us through your Apostle Paul. And Lord, I pray today that as we open up your scripture and open up your words, Lord, I pray that you will uh, open our minds and our hearts. Lord, your, your scripture tells us that your word is alive and active. Your scripture tells us that your word will penetrate every joint and marrow. In other words, it goes to the depths of our, of our souls. And Lord, I pray it does that today in this room. I pray your, your word, Lord, will encourage where encouragement is needed and guide and, and challenge and, and direct. And Father, give us a, a heart and a mind that is open to receive and, and open to being obedient to your scripture this morning. Father, we pray that you speak to us this morning through your scripture. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Open, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our journey through this great book, learning about what it means to be in Christ. I would guess that if I could have some time with you one-on-one and spend some time maybe over a cup of coffee or over a sandwich, or if we would have done an impromptu kind of on-the-street interview time as you are walking in here this morning, and if I would ask you the question, if there was something in your life that you would want to change about yourself, most likely, I imagine most of us would come up with something. We'd probably come up with some idea and say, yeah, I'd like to change this. It may be, maybe the thing you'd want to change is say, I wish I was just more positive. I'd like to change my attitude so I could be a more positive person. It might be something like, I worry a whole lot, and I'd like to change that so I don't worry so much about things of life. For some, it may be something with your physical appearance, wishing that something in your physical appearance could adjust or change for many And I would be one of these, and the many would say, I'd like to lose a few pounds. Can I lose 5 pounds or 10 pounds or 20 pounds? I'd like to drop a little bit of weight. Most of us understand this. Most of us understand that in order for something to change about yourself, then you have to actually change something in your life. If you keep doing the same thing you've always done, you'll keep getting the same results, so to speak. For instance, if I want to lose weight, and I like to drop about 10 or 15 pounds, maybe 20 pounds, then I know I need to change some habits. I need to change my exercise habits. I need to change my eating habits. I need to change in order for some weight to be dropped off. There's no miracle cure that all of a sudden I'm going to lose 20 pounds, is there? We understand that. We know in order for that to happen, some things have to adjust. And if you were to pick your one item and say, I want some adjustment or change in my life in this area, you know you'd have to make some changes. So let me ask you to consider for a moment about your life in Christ. We've been walking through Colossians, and the Apostle Paul who wrote this church to Colossae was challenging the people to continue their walk, their belief in Christ, to hold fast, to stay strong to that walk in Christ. Let me ask you, are you totally happy and content where you are in your walk with Jesus this morning? 
Are, are you in a spot where you say, man, I'm in a spot that is healthy, that is good, it's growing, it's vibrant, um, I'm following His ways, I'm walking in faith. Are you in a spot where you're like, man, it's kind of struggling. It's kind of maintaining. It's been kind of flat as of late. There's not much life in it. Well, I know the relationship is there, but it's just kind of coexisting. Where are you, where are you at today? See, when we give our lives to Christ, we hear about this new life I'm supposed to have in Christ. We talk about that as we've been walking through Colossians, that when you are in Christ, you have a, a new life. But for some of you, say, I sit back and I'm waiting for that new life to happen, preacher. You tell me I'm going to be in Christ and I give my life to Christ. You go, well, where's this new life at? See, if we are going to have a life in Christ and do that He wants us to do and have all that He has planned for us to have, then sometimes we don't experience that life in Christ because we haven't made some changes in order to embrace that life that He offers for us. So today we're going to look at three areas that we're going to need to change that we're going to need to adjust if we are going to have the life in Christ that He promises for us. Look at your Bibles in Colossians chapter 3. Now the first four verses of Colossians 3 point our eyes towards heaven, point our eyes towards living in Christ with your feet on the ground, but, but your focus is in heaven. And Paul is just kind of summarizing what he's already been telling us in the first two chapters. So today I want to jump in with verse 5. Verse 5 says, Put to death therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in a life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is in all and is in all. Paul lays out for us, I think, some change challenges, so to speak. He lays out for us today some things that if you want to experience this new life in Christ and you have given your life to Christ in terms of putting your faith in Him and you've repented and you've received Christ, if you've done just what Gavin did today and you say, I want to be a Christian, and you go, I've done that, but I'm not experiencing this new life. I'm not, I'm not experiencing it. Then I think Paul would say, have you looked at some changes that need to take place and have you embraced those changes? Change number one I see is Paul says, there needs to be a change of direction. See, we're given two lists of things that we need to make sure that we rid ourselves of. And when you look at these lists, you may look at those lists and go, well, I'm kind of immune from those. I don't really participate in those things. I think, though, as we examine these, these lists, we see the root of these lists, you'll see that they do apply to all of us today here. And as you look at the list that Paul are referring to, I don't personally believe they're an exhaustive list. I think he was just giving us some examples of things that are an old life, and he's saying don't participate in the old life, live in the new. But if we're going to change direction, then we must allow ourselves to be dead to the old life. That's the first call of Paul, is to be dead to the old life. See, in verse 5, we're told we're to consider the members of our earthly body as dead to the things that he's listed here. We are literally to put these things to death. That means they have no more existence. 
To consider dead means we are to hold these items in check, to, to restrain them. And if they are left unrestrained, that they'll lead us in a wrong direction. And Paul's saying, you need to put them to death. You need to restrain them so much that they don't even breathe anymore. If you casually look at verse 3, though, we're told we have died with Christ. But here we are told, consider our members of our earthly body as dead. And so Paul's making a comparison again between the old way of living and the new way of living. And if you if you died to Christ, but we still live in a fallen world, and only through the power of the Holy Spirit then can we keep one in check. Because Paul's saying, you've died to Christ, your feet are on earth, your eyes are in heaven, but you're going to be pulled by this earth. And Paul is saying, be aware of these things, and the power of the Spirit, then don't walk in them, have nothing to do with them, let those be dead. See, we've died to Christ. Remember, someone who is dead is no longer aroused and excited about the things of the world. This verse reminds us that we have a, a part to play in our walk with God because Paul's saying, you are, some of you are going back and participating in these things. And Paul's reminding us, we have a part to play with the power of the Spirit that we need to change direction, that when we chose Christ, we said, we're no longer going this way, we're now going this way. That there's a new direction. We need to change our direction from self-gratification to pleasing God is what Paul's talking about. See, verse 5 gives us a list of things we consider ourselves dead to. Immorality deals predominantly with sexual sin that Paul's referring to here. The word is the same word we get pornography from. And Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica these words when he says, it is God's will that you keep away from sexual sin as a mark of your devotion to Him. I mean, Paul just kind of goes right at it with the church saying this should not be part of your life. This is notorious list includes, includes impurity and passion and evil desires and greed. And all of these deal with getting what I want. Getting what we want. Me, myself, and I. What do I desire? What do, what do I want? This list is actually in reverse order because the root of all of these is greed. Paul names all these different items, and then the root of it is greed. And greed is the desire for, for what belongs to another. It includes the breaking of the laws of right and justice in order to obtain them something for oneself. It means forget the laws, forget the guidance, forget God's righteousness, and what do I want I'm going to go after. That's greed. It is the relentless urge to get more, and it's really the root of all the rest. Paul says, if you have these kind of issues, he actually tackles and said, face the greed. Face the greed that's inside of you. Deal with the greed and some of these other things we put to death. We must move in a direction of pleasing God rather than pleasing ourselves. Paul's saying, you've got to make sure God's a person you're aiming to please. God's not against sex, but sex outside of marriage? God says, that's not my plan. And as long as we live in a fallen world, we're going to struggle with these issues. And Paul's making the church aware to say, these kind of issues are going to be around you until the day you go to heaven. But you put them to death. You put them to death when you accepted Christ. The last part of verse 5 tells us that these things amount to idolatry. To idolatry. Now, when we reject the true God of the Bible... We make up one in our own imagination. We, are, we make our desires and our appetites and our lust our God and our pursuit of them. Whatever we put ahead of God becomes our God. Now, most of us would say, I don't, I don't have a little statue of an idol sitting in my corner family room. I'd imagine I could go to your backyard and we'd probably walk in your backyard and I'd imagine none of you have a golden calf that you've set up in your backyard and say, I bow and worship that every single day. 
Probably most of us have nothing like that. And so sometimes when we think of idols, we think, well, that's not me. But whatever you put before God, as Paul's pointing out, becomes an idol. What has gotten away with your relationship with God lately? Could it be work? Been consumed with work. I'm putting in 70, 80 hours a week. They're just pulling me all kinds of directions. Work becomes a God. Parents, speaking to myself on this one, our children's activities. I'm running into this activity, running into that activity. Got to get them here. I got to get them there. Oh, forget it. No, they won't be at church. No, we won't be at Bible study. Why? Because I got to have my kid at activity A, B, C, D, or E. It becomes a God. And quite honestly, this is one we don't usually like to hear, but I'll pick on myself too. I see a lot of blue and white this morning in our church. And I also have the, the blue and gold, maize and blue. This basketball thing can become a God. Let's be honest about it. It really can. When we put it before God, we say, you know what? Oh, man, I'll stay up so late, and then I'll oh, forget it. God, you and I will talk another time. We'll pray. I'll be in the Word. And then we're so tired, we don't spend time with God. We become a God. Sports in our society has literally become a God. It really has, church. We've got to face the truth. And if Paul were to write this list today, he would try to add some different things into that and say, here are the gods of today's culture. We've got to change our direction. See, we left the old life because it does not get us where we want to go. The old way of life leads to destruction is what Paul is saying. It separated us from God and it opened us up to being subject to the wrath of God. And Paul is saying, you no longer embrace that. The old way of life had nothing good for us. It used us and it tossed us aside like a piece of trash. And Paul is saying, you understood that and you embraced Christ. So don't go back to the old junk. Paul saying it's been put to death. It's been put away. It's like taking off an old piece of clothing and put it in a drawer and to never get it out again. And Paul saying, put it away. Put it away because that's the reason that sin leads to death and separates us. And he says, your new direction is to walk with God. That's the new direction. See, when we sin, it is because we're doing what our flesh wants instead of what God wants. And Paul says when we're immersed into Christ, when we've given our life to Jesus and we're fully saved, our life is about a reflection of our relationship with Him. That's what the call is here. And so let me just go back to that question I asked you. How's your relationship with Jesus been lately? Would it be one that you, if you were to sit and talk with God, you say, I'm really proud of you because I really feel like you're doing your best to reflect, reflect me. You're really growing in the image of me. Your direction is on the right direction. You're doing good. Or would God say, you know, I'd like to see a few adjustments here. I'd like to see some, some change of direction. You're kind of on a wrong path. Not terribly wrong, but some direction that would align you more with me and my ways for you. Secondly, if you want to have the new life and this new lifestyle that God has for us, then you must have a change of attitude. A change of attitude. Look at verse 8 and 9 in your text. It says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. A change of attitude. We are told that we need to put some of the old attitudes away. To put aside means to take it off like a piece of clothing. 
as they're saying, Paul, Paul's saying, put it away. I, I would say he's saying, put it in a bag and ship it off to Goodwill. Get rid of it. Put it in a bag or put it in a pile and take it out to the fire and burn it because you no longer need it anymore. Totally get rid of it. We're to disrobe of these sinful attitudes and these sinful behaviors. And each of these attitudes, if left unchecked, then Paul's saying, they build one upon another. And one thing leads to another thing, which leads to another thing. For instance, he starts with anger. He said, anger, it's a deep smoldering business. Unchecked, it leads to wrath, which is a deep determined anger that manifests itself in outbursts of rage and anger. And he's saying, have you checked your anger yet? I think Paul purposely starts with anger because he knows it leads from one thing to another thing and to another thing. Unchecked, anger leads to malice, which is being bent on causing injury to another physically or to their reputation. He's saying you got to start by checking your anger, and then all these things can lead to slander or abusive speech. You stop and think about it for a moment. You stop and think about anger and what does it do? What does it do to relationships between a husband and a wife, or between a, a father and a son, or a mother and daughter? What does it do in your work relationships with coworkers or someone who is your boss? When you have anger inside of you, and you haven't dealt with that and taken that to God and dealt with it in the right way, it leads to, to bitterness and eventually leads to explosion. Why do we hear about more and more crazy situations where people are maybe shooting their gun road rage on the road, or someone going in their workplace and firing off a, a pistol because of anger and malice and rage that is burning inside. Why do families fall apart? A lot of times it starts with anger. Because someone gets mad at their husband or husband gets mad at their wife and instead of dealing with it in a Christ-like way and talking about it and working through it, they just let that rage inside which leads to the destruction of a marriage. Paul's saying you are in Christ have nothing to do with anger. Because your anger leads you to malice, which is behavior that's hurtful towards somebody else, which leads you to slandering lips. What does it do to a church? I've seen it before where people get mad and then the anger and the malice starts to spread through a church like a cancer. And Satan uses that tool to destroy churches. There are many Christians who struggle with attitude. Ephesians 4 tells us, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Another translation says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only words that build up. What kind of talk's been out of your mouth lately? See, it's easy for us to focus on the evils of of verse 5 and forget about the evils in verse 8 but I believe the attitude issues in verse 8 may be more difficult to even deal with because we can always rationalize those. We rationalize them with things like, well, they made me mad. They did this to me, which then upset me. When realistically, Paul would say, it's your choice to deal with your anger. See, bad attitudes lead to bad actions. And Paul is bringing that warning to us. Verse 9 encourages us. Don't lie to one another. When we harbor bad things in the heart, they'll come out on our actions. When you struggle with anger issues, when you find yourself sweeping those under the rug and you quit rationalizing your, your anger, and when you quit sweeping things under the rug because there's no justification for the Christian to live a life in anger with bad attitudes and bad actions, when you start to do that, then God will start to bless you. Sometimes we can struggle with, well, 
my life doesn't seem so new, but when you're carrying anger and hatred towards one another, you're not going to experience the newness of living in Christ. Our attitude towards others needs to be a Christ-like attitude. See, we're called and obligated to treat others in a Christ-like manner. And may I even suggest in a Christ-like manner, even when they don't deserve it. Even when people are harsh towards you, or when people are mean towards you, or people are degrading towards you, or people are attacking towards you, or people speak ill will towards you, our call is still to love them. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He did not quantify and say, love your neighbors who are nice to you. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, even when they're difficult to love. And the Bible tells us that love covers over a multitude of sin. You ever heard the terminology EGRs? Extra grace required. All of us have EGRs in our lives. Sometimes it's me and sometimes it's you. But everybody needs a little extra grace. Everybody needs a little bit of extra love. And boy, oh boy, did Jesus not understand that and see that? And he looked down at us. God looked down at us and said, I see that they're, they're sinful people. I see the, the human race as hatred against me. But I'm going to send my son Jesus to the cross to die for them so their sin can be covered. That even when our behavior didn't deserve it, he still demonstrated love. Who needs that kind of attitude from you? Who needs that little bit of extra love to go, you know what, I forgive them. You know what, I don't understand them. You know what, I don't know why they choose that. I don't know why they say that. I don't walk in their shoes. It's been a kind of a theme here lately that Brian and I go, and you know, we just don't understand people's personality. We don't understand why they behave they were. Because I don't know what happened to them when they were two, and when they were five, and when they were 10, and when they were 15, and when they were 20, and when they were 25. I don't know what happened in their day of work today. I don't know what's going on in their home life, and neither do you. And the best thing we can do is be the hands and feet of Jesus and bring some love to somebody's life. That's what Paul's calling us for towards. Paul's saying, bring love, don't bring anger. So we need to change our direction, change our attitude. And thirdly, we must have a change of purpose to experience the new life Christ has for us. So we're to have a new purpose. If you want to change, you need to change your purpose for life. We're called to be renewed to a true knowledge of Christ, is what the Scripture says. Look at verse 9 and 10 once again. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practice and put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the Creator. Renewed in the knowledge of the image of the Creator. Many of the world's problems today come from a lack of the knowledge concerning who is God. And may I suggest many of the problems in our lives sitting in this room come from a lack of knowledge of who is God. We're ignorant sometimes to who God is because we're ignorant of His Word. And Paul is telling us, get to know God. And the way we get to know the image of the God is to know the knowledge. And the way we get to know the knowledge is by being in the Scriptures. Let me ask you, what kind of steady diet do you have in your life of being in God's Word? Is this a book that's part of your life that... Regularly, you're in it. Daily, you're in it. You're spending some time. Maybe you're using an app where you can listen to it, or you're reading it on your own. You're taking it. You're being part of the Bible study. You're participating in a growth group. Is this part of your life on a regular basis, or is this something you kind of open here and there, and you casually allow it to intersect into your life? Because if it's just casual, you're not going to experience the new life Christ has for you. 
And the way we get to know God is by being in His Word. And the more we get to know His Word and we get to know Him is when we then start to experience new life in Christ. See, we cannot be transformed into an image of God when we don't know Him. It's impossible. We've got to know Him. Learning about God is exciting. It's transforming. And I promise you, when you get into God's Word and you make it a regular part of your life, you will start to experience life transformation. See, a true knowledge of Christ will lead to a new life. By attaining knowledge of Christ and His will, our spiritual being is being changed in the likeness of Christ. I have conversations with folks who will come in and talk about whatever kind of life issue. Pastor, can we talk about this? And we'll talk for a while, and I'll start to then, let's talk about how much you've been in God's Word lately, and they're stressed, and they're overwhelmed, whatever, whatever issue of life. And I try to point them back to, okay, let's get a diet, steady diet of being in God's Word. And it's amazing how the people who embrace that and come back a week or two or three weeks later and say, I'm in God's Word, I still have the struggle. I still have some of the problems and some of the difficulties. But because I'm in God's Word, I'm finding some peace and I'm finding some contentment and I'm finding some joy even though I'm in the midst of the trial. We're told in James that we are going to have trials. And the writer of James tells us to consider it pure joy when they even come. And the only way I know how to walk through a trial with joy is to walk closer with the Savior. And the way you walk closer to the Savior is by being in His Word. See, when we learn to feel and act and think like Christ, we do that as we're in His Word. Romans 12 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You renew your mind with God's Word. Our new purpose is to be transformed in the image of Jesus. So what's my purpose for life? Why do I live? Why do I exist? It's to be transformed in the image of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. We're here to be transformed in the image of Christ. Paul says we've got to have knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ leads to a new life, and a new life leads to a transformed life. That's our calling. And I think Paul's trying to point the church in Colossae and trying to point us today to the fact that it's all about trust. Who do you trust your life with? Because if you understand what Christ has done for you, do you trust your life to be able to follow what He said? It's about seeking Him in every area of life. It's about letting God have you. It's about pursuing God's agenda instead of our own agenda. And if we're feeling less enthusiastic about our faith, or if we're feeling like the new life is not there, we're feeling like I'm kind of missing something, then I think Paul would ask us, how are you doing when it comes to your direction and your attitude and your purpose? Are you keeping those in line with God's Word? That's where new life is. Maybe today you're here and it's time to quit fighting God. Maybe today you're here and you're like, man, I think about my life with Christ and I do have that struggle. It's not quite as fulfilling. It's not as, quite as new as maybe I thought it should be. Maybe it's time to let go and quit fighting God. Maybe it's time to say, God, I want that new direction. I want that new attitude. I want that new purpose. Maybe it's time for a change. Go back to what I said in the very beginning of the message, and we know this. Things will only change when we take some action steps to make some changes.
What change does God want you to pursue today? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scriptures, God. God, we thank you for how practical Paul just lays this out and says, here's what it looks like to live a life in Christ. Here's what it's like to have a a new life and what the new lifestyle looks like. God, search our hearts and our minds right now. Help us to do some business with you, so to speak, and ask that your spirit would speak to us so so we don't walk out of this room and not take a step on our faith with you. Lord, for some in this room, their their life with you is on fire. They're they're right on that path, and Lord, today they they need just a word of encouragement. They just need that pat on the back from you to saying, keep going, you're doing great. For some, Lord, we need to hear, though, you're embracing some of the old ways of life, and Paul says, let it be dead. Live in the newness that Christ has. Lord, help us to do that. Father, as we celebrate this morning and we receive communion, we're reminded of that we're made new because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And Father, we celebrate and we honor you as we participate in this time of communion. And Lord, I want to pray specifically maybe for people who need to follow in Gavin's footsteps that we saw just a few moments ago where he submitted his life to Jesus. Quite honestly, Lord, maybe there's someone else here ready to do that. Would you draw them to you and possibly even today to make that kind of decision? Father, we honor you and we praise you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our servers are going to bring communion. I invite you to partake. And as you partake, it's a great time to talk with God about change. It's a great time to talk with God about what the topic of the message is today. And just ask God, God, search my heart today. And as you receive communion, then spend some time in confession and spend some time receiving His grace and His forgiveness to know that we're reminded every week in communion about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Today, if you're here and you're like, I need Jesus to be my Savior. I need to follow that young man, Gavin. We would do that in a heartbeat. Just get up as we continue in worship and walk to the back of the room. I'll be back there and say, hey, I'm ready. Today's my day. Or maybe today's the day you go, you know what, I really got to start investigating this. I need someone to walk with me. Use your connection card. Write that on the back. We'll follow up with you. We'll start walking with you, help you understand what it means to have a new life in Christ. Let's worship now through this time of communion.
Father, that's a prayer. Our wealth we know is in the cross. It's a prayer of praise. And it's a prayer, Lord, that we can ask for You to help us to live that way. That's another way to say we're in Christ. Lord, help us to live that way every day in Christ with our wealth in the cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.